something has to transcend my individual rights, mm-hmm. and it's my responsibility to everybody else. Welcome back to In Session with Jared and Clay. I'm Dr. Jared Cox. Thanks for being here with us. As we continue our series on racism, today I'd like to talk about the evolution, the growth of the protests. I recognize the history of racial protests long predates 1955, but the earliest protest that informs my concept of what protests are and what they should be, it starts with Mrs. Rosa Parks on the bus. She refused to move to the back of the bus, and a one-day boycott of the Montgomery bus system ensued. And out of that boycott grew 381 days of additional boycott and a permanent place for Mrs. Parks in the history books. Two years later came the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which famously involved Dr. King. And by 1960, students across the country, 50,000 of them, had become increasingly involved and were participating in sit-ins led by SNCC. By 1961, we see CORE, and CORE was organizing the Freedom Rides, which brought more and more Caucasians to the cause. In 1964, we have the March of a Few Hundred People, which would soon be called Bloody Sunday, and Bloody Sunday would be heroically followed by a second and third attempt, not by hundreds, but by thousands on the 54-mile march just days removed from the horrific beatings and murders in the face of fear which my imagination can hardly do justice. Just a few years ago, in 2016, Kaepernick took his first knee. Now in 2020, the number of participants is such that almost all of the athletes are taking a knee, and those who don't, they have to explain themselves. In fact, for some, taking a knee isn't enough anymore. Now they are choosing to walk off the court before the anthem is played. You aren't here for a history lesson. I say all that because the protests are growing. They're growing in number. They are growing in scale. They are growing in ambition, just as they did in the 50s and 60s. And it occurs to me that we would all do quite well to rethink how we are going to grow right along with them. Because quite frankly, I'm stuck. I can look back on the incident with Ms. Parks and say, yes, ma'am, you deserve to sit anywhere you want. And if the seats are all occupied, any gentleman on this bus will be happy to give you his. And I can look back on the sit-ins and the marches and say, my God, this is how we treated people? It's nearly unfathomable for me to understand how so many people could reach the same conclusion that people of color should not be allowed to walk down the street unless they were willing to walk through a fire hose or could outrun a police dog. Although I can look back into history and see seemingly so clearly, I don't see today's protest quite the same. I very much understand why today so many people are upset by kneeling during the anthem. To a greater degree, I understand the disenfranchisement, disgust may be a better word, with those athletes who walk off the court. But for those who are upset at kneeling and those who are angered by the walk-offs, Are we repeating history's mistakes? Have we not grown enough? Have we not learned enough from the civil rights movement of the 60s, that which is most critical to empathically hearing the protest messages of today? That's what I'll be listening for today. I'm sure there will be much more to hear, and if the conversation moves, I'll move with it, but I'm ready to get going. Are you ready? 
Let's go. Jared, listening to you, that sparked a couple of things, you know, in my mind. And if we take a process look at the idea of protest, and I really, I really like how you went back and looked at at some of those instances. And by definition, a, a protest is a statement. Its intent is to somehow raise awareness, uh, call attention to. Uh, something that's unfair, something, an injustice, something of that nature. And so so inherently, a, a protest is supposed to make us take notice, take a look at whatever the situation may be. And so by design, if, if that's what a protest is supposed to do, then I would have to say that anything that causes you know, a group of people or people in general to, to stop and consider and take a look, then that would be an effective protest. And what we're running into today, at least in the last several years, particularly since 2016, I guess, is that the people's response to the protest is another protest. And so people are, people are protesting the method by which the protest is conducted. And while I can understand that, uh, I can't really get on board with that because I, I call that, uh, you know, a deflection. If a protest, if the intent is to raise awareness about a certain particular situation, but everybody's response is about a completely different abstraction, then, then you, then you have what I—that's what I call mixing abstractions, mm-hmm. and no one then can ever get any traction on the discussion. And so, when you look at what uh, Kaepernick did to raise awareness about uh, injustice that occasionally occur, occurs, you know, to black individuals, particularly with the police force, which is well documented. It's met with a complete deflection and a, and a shift of abstraction because the method by which he chose to raise that awareness was kind of picked up. And since then, that seems to be the discussion. And to me, that's not the discussion, although it has to be the discussion because of the process by which this is unfolded. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say this, too, and then kick it out there, maybe see what everybody thinks. You know, I think it's important as this discussion goes. It, uh, you know, I come from a family that's military background. My father's retired major in the Army Reserve, and veteran of the Korean War. And many, many people in my family served in the military. and Very patriotic. I am as well, I believe. And so, you know, I want to put that out kind of, you know, in the beginning. And I want to say that freedom, freedom is a, is a top-level goal and pursuit. I believe it's the best thing in the world. But with freedom, you have such an increased level of responsibility. Personal responsibility mm-hmm. goes hand-in-hand with the idea of freedom. And within that, then I, I must be able to 
figure out what I'm responsible for, which is myself, and how to be responsible to others. And both of those carry equal importance. And to tie this into some of our previous discussions, what individualism tends to do, at least in this country, is it begins to erode freedom. And it's real subtle and it's real sneaky, and no one would really say that's the intent. But individualism begins to erode freedom because it decreases my personal responsibility to where I begin to organize my thoughts around not so much of being responsible for myself and to you, but I get in this weird thing of it's my rights or I have a right. And then from there, you know, the discussion almost ends because if everybody has these individual rights and we hold them too closely to the chest, how do we get along and do anything? So it's a little complex, but I'd like to be able to remember that that freedom, I think, is, is the goal. But freedom can't really be freedom without a large amount of personal responsibility. I have to do things for myself, but just as much, I got to be responsible to you and to you and to you. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, then we create this aggregate of greater good. And that's the only way freedom can really function. I don't know. What do you guys think? Because I see individualism, you know, kind of actually eroding that process. Mm-hmm. And it may be somehow connected you know, to why we're so hung up on these protests. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you said a lot there. And and I'm still trying to process all the different angles from which to take this discussion. Being a soldier myself, I often ask the question, what skin have you put in the game? You know, in a, in a lot of discussions and disagreements, I say, how invested are you? What have you done? Mm-hmm. And I think we had the greatest generation in this nation. And what made them so great is they were builders and they were in the process, whether by choice or not by choice, they, they put some skin in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. So those voices are super, super important to me. And they come with a sense of, I don't know the right word, but you look at them as, as an authoritative figure, right? Because they've actually walked the talk. Right. And my struggle is a lot of people who have something to say, oftentimes aren't invested in the greater good, right? They're really concerned about themselves. That's what they think about, right? Mm-hmm. So so I, I, I like what you said, and I can see how individualism is a huge problem, right? So for me, in looking at this whole conversation, without getting into the nitty-gritty specifics of, of Kaepernick, Kaepernick, to me, seemed like he started with an individual decision, Right. Like he didn't force any of his teammates to we're all going to do this. It was I I am fed up with the system that I'm a part of. So this is going to be how I choose to to protest. Mm -hmm. And I was living in California at the time and I was going to battle assembly, as we call it. And interestingly enough, none of my soldier buddies had too much to say about it. Like we were like, oh, he kneeled, you know. It was a big deal, but it wasn't like, oh, earth moving and we can't believe he did something like this. It wasn't until that narrative was painted that this is disrespect to the flag. And that was a strategic move. 
That was that was a, a, a hugely strategic move to take away attention from the, the peaceful protest that was taking place. So then that pits us against each other, right? And mm-hmm. like we always say, the bullies have large voices and they force you to take a side. But if you're wise and you've invested some skin in the game, you take some time to think about what you see before you respond. And I think that's a huge problem that we have in our country today. We're so quick to pop off and give our opinions and our thought. Mm-hmm. I think the creation of social media has made it even worse where we don't have that that gap to just hold on, mm-hmm. let me let me let me pause before I respond yeah. to all of this. So slow to speak. Yeah, 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 they're not slow to speak. So yeah, so individualism in my opinion is eroding our system. Where's the sense of greater good? What skin have you put in the game? How are you connected? Besides paying taxes, we all pay taxes. We right, get that. Right. What have you done? Right. Have you served? Or <laughs> have you done anything? Or yeah. are you just focused on yourself and, and, yeah. and what you've got going on? And then you just go ahead and spout your opinion. So so for me, I, I see huge problems in in all of that. Uh, so that's my initial thought. You, There are so many layers to what you just said, yeah. but maybe I'm just scraping the surface of, well, of you, a few yeah, things. You, you, you mentioned a, a good part of it. And I mean, there is. He, coach mentioned a lot there. There's a lot of layers to that onion to peel back. And, and you know, Coach, I'll go back to something that you and I talked about. may have been two or three episodes ago. But, you know, we talked about as therapists, we don't like to ask the question why. We don't mm-hmm. like to ask a lot of why questions because we don't want to put people on the defensive. We don't like to also at times ask ourselves the why question mm-hmm. to figure out or to slow down to see why would he do something like that? Why would a Kaepernick do something like that? Why would LeBron wear that shirt or do something like that? Why would the WNBA walk off the court? Why would Martin Luther King lead this, this, this march? And we don't understand. We don't take the time to understand. Jason, you know, the things you think I love that you said, you mentioned conversation. Uh, you mentioned individualism. We don't come into a conversation trying to understand. We come into conversations nowadays to get our point across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real poor method. It's, of a, communication. it's a horrible method of communication. And, and, that, and, and you're right. Social media is made for all of us to get our point across. That's it. We say our piece and and, it, and it's out there and we don't have much conversation. And I'm like, again, I, I'll say it sometimes. I'm as guilty as anybody else. And we need to learn to to listen. When Kaepernick did, did what he did, my first question was, I wonder what, what was it that, what what is he trying to get across? What's his point? But the action became the focal point not the meaning in the action the actual action itself and no one tried to not not, i won't say no one that's wrong not many people tried to understand what that action was all about and when you're talking about protest we see the actions and we make immediate judgment calls on those actions and what we see and we don't ask ourselves why. So one of the things, that's one of the things that I just take from from what you said, Coach. Um, 
you know, that word process too is, is a, <laughs> yeah. a huge one. And I would also put an additional question there is when I see protests or these things happening or really any behavior, and this is basically, you know, comes from being a therapist for 25 to 30 years. I ask, what Mm -hmm. are they saying? Yes. Because all behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. So why? Are they saying it is certainly valid, but also I'm I'm always trying to attempt to figure out what yes. are they communicating? What are they saying through this behavior? And and so to come from a another way to look at this, since I, I started kind of in one direction, is is that for uh, I'll I'll say for 150 years, people have been protesting peacefully about some of the injustice that's occurring and no one will listen no one will again i'll follow you up greg i shouldn't say no one because that's not accurate right right that's too definitive and and there has been some slow progress made because of those peaceful protests right right you know no doubt but when protests move into being extreme or radical i don't think really anybody would would say that uh rioting or looting or any of of that would be should be an effective means of of protest and so you got you got a whole nother layer of something that's happening there part of it is that you know those kind of things are that's the language of the unheard but then you also, you just have some not very good people mm-hmm. taking yeah. advantage of a situation that's destabilized, and they really are just trying to steal something. Right, right. And and the unfortunate thing is that then you have people that are observing that, and they're painting all of this with this broad stroke, and that's not what it's about either. And, uh, it, you know, it can really get convoluted mm-hmm. and, and when people are starting, you know, to talk about it. And so so we, we've, we've got protest, and then some of the reasons that the protests are moving in a bad direction is because no one will address the issue, mm-hmm. or, or I feel like we can't be heard. Jason, you're wanting to say Yeah, something. Seven Habits, right? Book we've all looked at, seek first to understand and then to be understood, and we, we fall short of that all too often in relationships no and all kind of stuff. So in the Army, we call those biases biases and, and, and fallacies, really, right, where whenever you enter into an operational environment and there is chaos, the first thing that you have to do is you have to observe and figure out who the actors are, right? right? And we don't we don't do that. We really don't do that, right? So we look at this operational environment. If we go overseas, we say, all right, who is the enemy? What is their objective? Who are the friendlies? What is their objective? What is our national objective in the operational environment? We know there are some bad actors in this, and we've got to take the time to strategically study all of these areas before we come up with our course of action. Mm-hmm. 
And and we are simply not doing that. So when we paint people in generalizations and say all people or all groups or all protests are this, that's a fallacy. That's a huge fallacy yes. that, that we probably don't know that we're we're dealing with right so i love what you said because you just spelled out the fact that there are there's so many different intricacies there's layers to this Mm -hmm. that you have to spend time studying in the army we call it the military decision making process where we spend hours upon hours weeks trying to figure out who the actors are where the friendlies are what's their end objective and what's our objective in this as well and if we don't do that we fall short of the goal every single time So you mentioned that the question should be, what is he saying? Now, what are they saying? You know, interestingly enough, whenever this all first came out, amongst my other friends with whom I have discussions like this, only one of them asked that question. And everyone else in the group looked at him like, why are you even asking that question? Is it not obvious? Maybe it's not so obvious. So I'll ask you, what is Kaepernick saying as you see it. To me, it's not a necessarily what he's just saying, but maybe uh, let me let you in on something. Let me, it's a realization. I, let me, let me show you something that's different. Let me go back to your friend. If I, if you don't mind, uh, you're one that asked the question and you're ones that then asked him, why would you ask that question? The issue I think a lot of times is we don't want to ask the question even when the question may be the first thing in our mind, we don't want to ask the question because we don't want to know the answer because especially when it calls us to feel uncomfortable or have to do something different than what I'm already doing or possibly look at something different than what I'm already looking at. And I think what Kaepernick was doing was not necessarily to just make a statement to be disruptive. He was made out to be a, almost a criminal as if his behavior was so disruptive and that's not what he was doing. He was, I think was trying to get people to see, to realize that there's troubles and things going on in this world from a social standpoint that we've let go far too long and it's time to put a stop to it. And it's time to realize it. That's the thing that I think that I think that was his main point. You know, I asked why, but I love the way Coach put it. What is he trying to say by doing this? What is his action saying? And my question to us is, what are our actions saying by not asking the question? And I say not just him, but asking ourselves the question. What are our actions saying? Why are we not asking ourselves that question? What is it about that that makes this so uncomfortable for us. And Jason said something too in that word. He mentioned generalizations. This society's built on generalizations and fallacies. We act on them. Yeah, as a coach, if I see an athlete and she looks like she can't walk or whatever, and you know, and, and walking, we say walk and chew gum at the same time, I already come up with an idea of, okay, we're coming after her. She can't play. She can't, you know, if we're playing that person, I've already made generalizations in my mind because of the way that maybe her person, he or she walks or he, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I think Jason and I were talking about that with a group. Well, if we see a bunch of, we're on a basketball court, we see a bunch of white guys walk in, but well, what are we saying to ourselves? 
Oh boy, we better watch out for the three point line. They're going to be shooting and, and doing this, and you see a bunch of brothers walk in where he's like, "Okay, they're going to be trying to dunk. dunk on us and everything." And then, and then guess what? The white boys start dunking, and the brothers can shoot. And you're looking at that game like, "What, what in the it? world is going on? Here? This is this is the most messed up game of basketball I've ever seen." But you know what? Those are the general eight, and we walk around with these all the time. And so when Kaepernick did that, you know, he's got his corn rolls, right? And he's he he kneels down for troublemaker. There goes another one of those troublemakers. That's what they are, you know. And and those are those generalizations I think that we just see. But here's why he was viewed as a troublemaker. In the start of his career, white spaces loved him. Mm-hmm. His last name wasn't Atatakumpo. It, it was Kaepernick. Yes. I don't know any black person named Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Right? <laughs> so, so he, he looked like say, but he did have tattoos. So that I remember that was a big piece of the conversation quarterback with all those tattoos, but the tattoos are religious. Look at that. He's, he's <laughs> elevating the name of Jesus and white America loved Kaepernick. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if we think about Kaepernick as a whole, he is ethnically mixed, right? Dad's black, mom's white, adopted by a white family. So in my opinion, this is just my freak opinion, he struggled with identity just a little bit, right? Right. But you're on the football field around all athletes and a ton of black athletes, right? They start talking and Kaepernick is listening and he's going, oh, there's this other side of me that I may have neglected. Let me put my ear to the street and hear some of the conversation. And when he started hearing the conversation, in my opinion, he got woke. And he said, whoa, yeah. I've been living, in my opinion, this may be totally wrong because I don't know Kaepernick's background too much, but I've been living in this ivory tower kind of and life has been good. And then I'm hearing about the plight of, of other people. I need to join in solidarity to say something because I have a loud voice. Yes. Right. I'm seeing what's happening to my fellow brothers and sisters and people of color. And I have this huge platform and my career is not going as well as it should. I'm on the bench. Let me go ahead and do something now while I have the chance and I have this platform to to raise awareness. Hence, let me go ahead and kneel. And I guarantee you that decision to kneel, he probably didn't enter into that lightly. Mm -hmm. I I really don't think it was just like, I'm just going to kneel one day. I bet you he kind of thought through it and worked through it. And in the position he was, I I know he, he did that. And then he made the decision to bring awareness to what? The plight of blacks and brown people in America who have had to deal with the oppressive hand of the law Mm -hmm. against them. That was the reason, that was the purpose, that was the point. But we can't hear that unless we operate from a paradigm of compassion and empathy and put ourselves into the shoes of black and brown people in America, and that's really hard to do. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. He's a celebrity, right? And so at any given point, he can call the press, the media, and say, hey, I'm going to go down to the police station, and I'm going to kneel down there, or I'm I'm going to go straight to another location and do this a little bit different way. Why did it have to be during the anthem? Why did it have to be then? Mean. Well, that's that's probably something we can we can debate, mm-hmm. and but that's part of what I was referring to 
uh, before. For us to debate that is a deflection of the message. I, I think it's an okay discussion as long as we draw clear distinctions that, okay, now we're talking about something, you know, com- completely different. And so, I, I, you know, as long as we hold those two things separate and don't mix them, right? I think I think we can have that discussion. But it's something you said, Jason, I, I think he did not go into this lightly than the story I have heard, which I really wish I could prove this some way i I don't know but i I have heard that kaepernick had has several friends that served in the military and he actually asked their opinion of what to do how how can i make this statement in the most respectful way i can possibly make it you know to you guys who i I think a lot of and and his original plan was to sit on the bench during the national anthem, and I feel very strongly that that's accurate because, that, as the story goes, that's what it was. And and they told him, no, no, don't sit. That's that is that is disrespectful. But what you should do is kneel. And so the instruction that he received from his friends that had served in the military was to kneel uh, during the anthem. That that was actually an appropriate means of. Protesting and and going by what you said, Jason, is when it actually happened. All of the people you knew in the military were pretty much on the same page, or at least you didn't. Yeah, right. You didn't take offense to it, and it wasn't until that narrative was drummed up and mm-hmm. you know and really uh, you know set out there that it it just took off, took right, off like, right. like wildfire, and then the whole nation is talking about uh, not the. The method, the, not the, the message. Yeah, right. yeah, not the message, right. but the method. That may be an appropriate discussion, but, you know, as long as we really keep those separate. Well, you know, the method is, is again, the method goes hand in hand with what some of the things that we're, we've talked about with taking names off buildings. You know, we, we've, those are, those are all methods in a way, but what are we, what's the message? You know, we can ask that question, Jared, I think about why, why take a name off a building? Why, why would we do that? Why kneel during the anthem? Why do this? Why do these big public methods? Why do them that way? Because I I think there's, if you, if you don't, it doesn't lend itself those private ones, the ones that we don't see don't lend themselves to people asking the question or the possibility that people might ask the question. I think when I, I like you asking that question because it raises, it, it, it at least provides discussion. Yeah. And this goes Good back point. to one of the things that, that Clay mentioned at the very beginning was talking about the protest and different things. One of the things that we don't do is we don't have discussion about these. We go straight to the act. But these big acts, if they can draw out discussions, what we're doing today, then that leads towards openness, leads towards change, that humility that Jason was talking about that we can bring to the table to be open-minded, to listen, to be caring that's what this world needs right now. So I, I see the act and I can see why it can be alarming, but I also see that that big method, that big action, that big gesture, we've used that word gesture before, mm-hmm. 
lends us to having the conversations. And I, and I can see why it's offensive. Oh, no doubt. To people that that's, that's obvious. And I like that, Greg, if it pushes the conversation, if it pushes the dialogue, then I'm for it. I see Kaepernick and Rosa Parks being equal in process. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rosa Parks sat in the front of the bus. And I would say that the people of that time and that day and that age were just as offended and alarmed and flabbergasted. And I cannot believe, you know, that she did that. I, I mean, I think the the response to Rosa Parks and the response to Kaepernick is identical. Not to me. Yeah. And I realize that I haven't served in the military. But that's a, that is the difference for me. I am in no way would I, I I can very much see how the method is disrespectful of the military and our veterans. And the method by which this was done to me seems like it would do as much damage as it might do good. As a communicator, we've said it before. The listener defines the context, and the way people heard this causes the method of communication to be in question. And in my mind, I am, ne- I am never, and I realize you could ask everyone in the military, and you're going to get a diverse range of opinions, just like you would with anything else. I understand that. But I can't help but think that a different method could have communicated more clearly with less hurt, with less disrespect of the people in the military and the veterans and their families who were offended by it. And if they were offended by it, I, I can see that as being valid. Because in my mind, the primary context of the anthem is battle. It's military. I can even understand taking a knee during the Pledge of Allegiance where you pledge liberty and justice for all, and you say, I'm taking a knee to that. I can understand that. But for me, the anthem is, it is different. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, I think they have a valid point. I don't know, but I, I'll, t- and, but I hear what you're saying about deflection and maybe mixing the abstractions, right? I hear what you're saying about diverting away from the message and focusing on the method and that being problematic. I can hear I can I can hear that, but if the listener defines the context, there's a lot of people who misheard yeah, that communication. I would, agree, I would agree, and I I would agree with what you're what you're saying. I, I wouldn't have a disagreement with that because theoretically, you're you're absolutely right. I I agree. I'll go back to if we are trapped in a dichotomy of having to define that message in an either or scenario. That's the real culprit, because I think you're absolutely right. Obviously, there were a lot of people that took offense to that. And you ask the question, why then, why now, why during the anthem? So I would add to that question, when? What would you do that would be on a national stage, garner that much Well, they've reached the national stage a lot of times throughout the course of the 
since the civil rights era. I mean, they reached the national stage a lot without doing it during the anthem. In what way would you say? There's, the marches. Right. The marches. The civil, right, and the civil right. And the civil rights movement came out of that. But now we're, yeah. we're, we're post that, still protesting. I'm not saying that the protests don't need to escalate. Right. I mean, if we're not effective enough, then we keep pressing forward. But the offense of doing it during the anthem, to you're, the military. you're saying, is a salient point that there had to be some other way, right? I think so. And you're never going to make everybody happy, and I hear that. Sure. But in my mind, if anybody deserves our very best efforts to go out of our way to not be disrespectful, it would be the military, in my mind. What are you hearing? Yeah, I, I, Jared, I love your perspective because it gives me a perspective that, that, you know, I need to hear and we're friends. So I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that makes sense. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner. But when we, you read the third stanza, it makes you think as a black person, right? And, and we never get to the third stanza, right, do we? Right. Right. So it'd be good for everybody listening to go actually go read the whole song. <laughs> read the whole song. So. In in pledging allegiance and in singing that song, we're saying as black and brown people, we stand in solidarity with the foundation of this country. And historically, we know they weren't talking to us when, when the Constitution was formed. And even in the song, the third stanza tells us how people viewed the hireling and the slave, right? Well, can I... Can I- my understanding is that that there is some ambiguity about mm-hmm. exactly what that means. And my understanding is that they're talking about slaves who were hired away by the British to fight against the Americans in with, with the promise of freedom. Yeah. And so my understanding is that the third stanza, that that those two lines refer to people who today might be viewed as traitors because they were fighting for, for the British. Yeah. And I've heard that interpretation, but again, that's hermeneutic. So everybody sees and hears something that mm-hmm. is kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say historically for black people, when we think about the Star Spangled Banner, that's problematic. As a general consensus, right? There are some outliers and people that disagree, but I think I could... Probably, I don't want to speak for the entire community, but there is some some hurt. Whether or not we interpret it correctly, and exactly, I wish we can go back and ask the author. We can't talk to him, so we kind of don't know his thought process, right? right? So, so I think as a general rule of thumb, that that Star Spangled Banner, the flag itself, for a lot of blacks, that does represent a sense of ah, man, I, I don't feel like I'm one with the country, right? right? So right. so if I'm going to protest, you ask the question, when? Man, we do the national anthem at every sporting event across America, right? And if you think about a a, a sport that is so pro-American, it's football. Right. Who, who's the singer? Of, was it Frank Williams who, who used to sing the... Uh, 
the song uh, Friday Night uh, Football or it's time for football. Or whatever. Oh, Hank Williams got. Jr. Yeah, Hank, Hank, Williams, Hank, Jr. Hank <laughs> Williams Jr. Right? We are not country right. music. Country music, right? <laughs> but ninety percent is African American, right? So, so, so all of these things, you know, it starts to come together, and you're like, wait a minute. So, I think the win question is 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 that that from his angle was was a really really good time to bring the maximum amount of awareness in my opinion right and once again if you talk to military families there are a plethora of different positions right, and, right. Uh, and the military even though we're all green we're black we're white we're asian we're mexican hispanic so forth and so on right so so even with under in that umbrella there there's diversity of thought and feeling but i i would say as i thought about it more and more i was thinking man that was like the perfect time to bring a maximum amount of awareness that black and brown people still don't feel like they're really apart yet. You said at the, uh, at the Juneteenth, you know, about loving a, a country that doesn't love me. And you, you made that statement. Why do they not love me? Well, I'm placing my hand over my heart. You know, the heart is the symbol of love. And me looking at that flag and, you know, some I've seen athletes cry during mm -hmm. the national anthem. I've cried during the national yeah. anthem before. I've cried during the national anthem for, for several things. Proud to be a part of this country, but I've also cried because there's times I don't feel a part. There's times that I feel like this country doesn't love me as much as I love it. And I think that was, to me, the message you, the national anthem you sing as as a country every time I always you know when I think about the national anthem I think about the Olympics. Why are we fighting in the Olympics so that I can stand on the top of that podium and and everybody has to listen to <laughs> our national anthem, right? But here again, I fought for this. You know, the question might be, how many of the military people? men and women. My dad's a, a former Marine that have fought. Every have, war. Every, every war, single war. And given their lives for a flag in a country that doesn't love them the way that they love it. So there you have Kaepernick. And to me, that's that was to me the message. And that was as, as humble of a protest as, as I've seen. Now, I'll, I'll say this. I'm a little, the one that I have question with the most is that, was that walking out. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with that one a little bit. And I, I would love to ask, I, I, but I won't sit here and make any generalizations because I do not know what that was all about for WNBA players that walked out, being very careful not to slam it because I don't know what that was all about. But that's the question. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure, that's the sure. question that we're talking about. Let's what was not that? make the same mistake with that yeah. one as we did with, with Kaepernick. What was that? What, what, was, what was that about? I would love to ask Diana Taurasi and that crew, what was your, what's your purpose here? What, what was that statement about? So that I can hear it. Because there may be something about that that I didn't even know. The reason I said what I said at the beginning of the episode is that I think we can begin to see this emerge that we live in a country that 
gives us the freedom to protest. Mm-hmm. And I think, Jared, what you're touching on, what we're really all trying to touch on, is that with that freedom to protest, there comes a high level of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier when Kaepernick decided to do this on his own for himself. Maybe we could have a discussion that he didn't put as much thought into how to be responsible to Mm -hmm. everybody else. And I'm willing to have that conversation because I see that happening almost with everybody. Mm -hmm. So I don't attribute that to him as an individual because I see that problematic throughout our country. Cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. Right. And, I, and again, it's, it, it talks to that individualism. And so it's, it's why I wanted to start with that. You know, that's such a responsibility. And if you, if you look in Christianity, or let's talk about something spiritual just for a second. That's not your job. That's <laughs> Jason's <laughs> job. Jacqueline Clay <laughs> If you believe as a Christian that Jesus set us free, which I personally do that, Mm -hmm. that freedom demands the highest level of responsibility, not a responsibility to not mess up, but a responsibility to conduct myself with an awareness that I'm responsible for me, but equally to you. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a method of operation and interaction that holds both of those ideas together. And when we don't have that, we live in a country that all of our families fought and died to preserve a system of freedom which gives Kaepernick the right to kneel down. It gives those players in the WNBA the right to walk, walk off, off the floor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something has to transcend my individual rights, Mm -hmm. and it's my responsibility to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is, how do I protest, make a statement, draw awareness, and at the same time be responsible to everybody else? It takes a lot of thought, and I I see that as being kind of where we get hung up with these issues. Yeah. And uh, it gets kind of complicated because everybody – I'm sure in the military and everything else would say, yeah, he, that's that's why we fight is to give you the right to do that. Mm-hmm. But then when we when he does that, you know, if we respond, if it if it really is that hurtful, then we need to process that and he needs to process that in a way too that well maybe I wasn't responsible enough to the American public. So I think your point is valid, Jared, is say, is there another way? And I would say, yes, there's another way, but I can't verbalize it to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But there's got to be another way. Let's put another stanza in there. And let's let's sing two stanzas. Yeah. I'll write one. <laughs> <laughs> Bars. <laughs> you know, I, you said something that, that made me think, again, from a soldier's perspective, uh, when you're in the chaos of war, typically, if the leaders don't flinch, the soldiers don't flinch. So any person who's in a position of leadership, 
greatly impact the well-being of of the troops or the subordinates. You know, if you think about it on a practical level, in our family units, if our children are spooked by something and then they see dad get spooked and get nervous, I mean, it, it just chaos ensues. But uh, if dad can hold it together and mom can hold it together, that makes the children more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, I think our country is stronger than this. I think we're stronger than this. I really, really do, right? I think if our leaders or voices looked at the Kaepernick situation and said, I can see how some people like this would make others feel like they're disrespecting the flag or whatever. I can see all that. I get all that. But let's remember that we are Americans and this is the greatest nation in the world. And we have fought for the right to protest. So although we don't like this, we're stronger than this and we're not even going to flinch. But what happened from our leaders is the opposite. Oh no, this is happening. You're painting our country this way and everybody else is going, yeah, we got to deal with this, right? Where are our strong leaders today that will stand up and say, I'm not scared. When the bullets start flying, you're going to see me have a face that doesn't even flinch. And that's what I struggle with right now. Mm -hmm. I see Mm -hmm. panic, chaos, and where's our leaders that are standing up and saying, we got this. This is America. Right here. We're not even flinching. (laughs) Whenever we talk about leadership in national movements like this, it's easy for us to think just about the politicians, but my mind goes to the community leaders, the corporate leaders. They're the ones who lead by serving face-to-face. They're the ones who help not just through policy, but through recovery and through relationships. And if history repeats itself as these protests grow, So will the objectives, so will the methods, and so will the expectations. And one of the expectations, I think, is going to be to support one of those organizations. Right now, Black Lives Matter is the most visible one, but there are obviously others. But my question for you is, how do you feel about the need or the expectation to support the organization? Is that required? Is that part of our responsibility to other humans? other Americans. Oh, I, I think it's a very good observation and a good point. And I would say this for the listener that it, when protest erodes into violence and rioting and looting, it, that's not that, what we're talking. That's about. not what we're talking right. about. That does right. not need to be tolerated as a diverse method of, of protest. No. So I, I think we can clearly draw a line of distinction. No doubt. There. No doubt. That nope. Nobody really is signing off on that being an okay way to right. protest, even though I can understand how it evolves to that point. It's still no excuse. Right. And so we're, we're, we're drawing a line of distinction there, but I think your point's valid in that there may be several different methods that don't necessarily sit, you know, well with me. I'm probably part of the problem. In America, I'm a, I'm a registered independent. And as a soldier, I always side on the side of justice. Mm-hmm. That's my position, regardless of what the issue is, right? And I think what we have to do is we have to make sure we are informed and we educate ourselves and we do the research, right? We've got to be informed. 
And you ask a question, are we forced to pick a side? And if we don't, it's going to make us look some way or what? I think if you are informed, if you're informed, you can answer anything that comes your way because you're informed and you know what's going on, right? And when you educate yourself, you realize that sometimes you can't generalize these movements because there are always bad actors infiltrating movements, right? Yeah. So you ask mm-hmm. me, do I side with Black Lives? You know, you didn't ask me, but if you were, you to will ask get me, that right, question. I'm gonna say we will all get that question. I'm gonna say which side of Black side Black Lives Matter, right? I mean, beca- because it's so nuanced yes. now. I mean, there, and if we're gonna talk on the side of politics, there are some bad actors in there with an agenda, pushing a different agenda. Right. And people are taking the bait. So I'm not siding with that. No. But the sentiment that black lives do matter and we ought to do something to show solidarity and justice. Yes. But again, um, nobody's forcing me to do anything. And I like some of those athletes, especially that basketball player as of late. I can't remember. I think he was on the Grizzlies, maybe. Yeah. On Memphis. Yeah. 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 Like his whole team was kneeling and he stood up and then they grilled him Mm. and when they put that softball right in front of him, he hit a home run. And you know what he said? He said, uh, I'm a Christian, and whatever I need to do to elevate the name of Jesus is what I'm going to do, and yeah. I think the gospel can fix this. And people stopped talking. They, <laughs> they said, okay, they left it alone. he's a little crazy. We're going to leave him alone. Yeah. because <laughs> you know, so I think that's the approach we have to take. When people come to you with, hey, what side are you picking? Let me tell you my position first. And this is my decision and be comfortable with, with your decision. Yeah. And the and the beautiful thing about that too, Jason, is we didn't see his teammates attack him either. Right. That's a neat thing. To me, that's the thing. That's that's what this is all about. Even if somebody does something different than what I would do. And that's the only reason why I said that about the WN. I just have a question about it. Is that, you know, but that, those are women. Women are, women are strong. Yes. And those women are strong. Those, that WA, those, those are some strong women there. And I, I will say this. I just have question, but I don't expect for everybody's methods to be the same. And you're right. Coach and Jason, you said you just said this too. There's bad apples in everything, you know, with the with the looting and the different things. There's bad apples in that, and with the, with different things, there's bad apples. But if someone does something different than I do, I might ask the question or question it just a little bit because I just want to know. I don't expect everybody to do the same thing, and when somebody does something even different or believes something even different than I do, because. They're walking around all over the place. You know, we may even, us four at this table may have different beliefs and outlooks on several different things. But that doesn't mean I generalize you for your outlook and and, and everything that you do or don't like you or not willing to listen. And I think that has been the thing of the past. The beautiful thing I saw about somebody standing up during it while his his teammates, his brothers on the team were all kneeling, they didn't question him, especially at least publicly that we know of. They didn't grill him. They didn't call him out in media. They didn't leave him out there. They were solid with him. And that speaks a lot because if we as people could be the exact same way, even if we disagree with what you with how you might protest or even not protest, that's going to make us better. That's where the healing comes. That's where the growth comes as a, as a nation. 
I like that. I thought it was just a beautiful thing. And the, you're right. The media, the media just couldn't. He he brought that name of Jesus. They said, shut it down. They were, you know. So we may not need to defund defund the the media. I saw a defund the media. Uh, I saw. I like saw that. those Press shirts. That up, put it on. I saw. Shirt. I saw those shirts this week. Defund the media. Like you know, it. we we may just. Jesus up the media. <laughs> Every time the media asks you a question, just talk about Jesus. Jesus. That's the just answer talk to about Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. We need some T-shirts. I'm telling you, man. Well, I, That's it. I think you're certainly seeing an evolution occur, and and those those move pretty slow. Evolution is a pretty slow moving process. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Jared, I think we're we're actually seeing some things change. We mm-hmm. really are, and there'll be some growing pains that accompany that, you know, for sure. And I would answer your question: Is our our responsibility to one another and to the public is to keep pushing the dialogue, to keep talking, to keep spending time with each other, to keep the interactions going. If we'll do that, then these things will—I mean—they'll come out in the wash, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's only when we stop the dialogue with each other and stop the interaction and retreat toward to isolation with our presuppositions and our judgments and our generalizations, that's when it really, uh, I think we're being very irresponsible when we do that. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's, let's keep talking. And by keep talking, you mean send people to InSessionPodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you mean, right? Perfect so. segue. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. That's it. Well, hey, guys, this was an awesome discussion tonight, I think. Good. I personally find it very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Appreciate it. I know there's, in these conversations, I don't, I don't know if our listeners can hear it, but there's a lot of heart that goes into these conversations. There's a lot of heart. And I hope you hear it. And I hope you'll keep listening. So thanks for being with us today. Everybody be kind. Please help us get the word out. Invite your friends to check out our show. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and our website, InSessionPodcast.com. Come see us there. And we'll be back next week on In Session with Jared and Clay. Mm -hmm.